Dear God, we love you and we're thankful for you. Thankful for your goodness and your grace. God, as we open your word this morning, um, God, we have two options when we open your word and receive truth. We can either accept it or reject it, but we can't ignore it. And so this morning, God, I pray that we would choose, even before we open your word, that whatever your word says, that we believe your ways are better, your thoughts are higher, and that, God, we're going to follow the path that you lead and the path that your word paves for our lives. Be with us, speak to us, and God, let us have open hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Again, welcome to Harvest. It's good to see you all this morning. Uh, we are continuing our series, Prisons to Playgrounds. And uh, thank you, Andrew. You doing all right? I'm good, man. Thank you. Thank you for asking. It's nice to have that question asked back to you when you ask how you're doing. I'm good, man. How you doing? Oh, you care. Uh, we are continuing our series, Prisons to Playgrounds. And um, I'm excited. This is our last week, which I'm sad, but I love doing book studies. So we have gone from the first verse of Philippians to now... Uh, this week, we will go to the last verse of Philippians. Um, and if you have missed any of it, um, we have a podcast, and you can go and listen to it there. Shameless plug. Uh, but you can go and find all of the messages that you have missed there. I want to ask a question. Can anybody in here tell the future, predict the future? Danny, you can in the back? Awesome. What's the lottery number going to be this week? Okay, good. That's it. Just a single number. <laughs> A seven may be in the number, and Bo, you may be right. Um, no, we cannot predict the future. We cannot. Um, there was a picture that I came across the other week, and I was, I was just doing sermon prep for this. I just was reminded of that picture, so I went and found it. Uh, there's a picture that's going to come up on the screens really quickly, and this is what people thought Los Angeles would look like in 2013. This picture was depicted in the 80s. So in the 80s, this is what the people thought L.A. would look like in 2013. They were convinced of it, that this is what 2013 would look like. Y'all, we're in 2022, and we're not even close <laughs> to what that picture looks like. But there is this hype, and there's a ton of other pictures that I could go through, but we don't have time this morning, of just how the world thought in the 80s and in the 90s that the 2020s would look like. They thought flying cars would exist, right? They thought that the hologram system, like from Star Wars, like that's the thing I'm most disappointed about. It's not like universal healthcare. It's the, we don't have holograms, right? Kidding. Sheesh. Uh, so like we all had these pictures of what we thought the world would look like. Um, and uh, it has not come true, right? We do not live in a utopia. We do not live in some like, like, beautiful metropolis. In fact, our world is not a metropolis. It is a mess, right? Like my, my grandmother can't even use Zoom. Um, my mom, like we talk about the future and like what they thought would look like, like as the, the generation that predicted that this is what the future would look like has done a poor job of adapting to the future. <laughs> like my mom still uses her pointer finger only on her iPhone. She doesn't know how to use her thumbs on an iPhone. It's when she texts, she texts like this and she holds it far back where she swipes like this. Like, um, I, it, we have done a poor job of predicting what the future would look like. Why? Because we can't know the future. We don't know. We can't know, and it is actually impossible to know. So, but 
Here's the thing. When we try to predict the future, we want to predict the future, and we attempt to. Why do we attempt to predict the future? Why do we try to predict, predict the future? I think, for starters, we want to be prepared. Like, we want to know what we need. For those of you, like, I know I already said this, but if you knew that there was going to be a shortage of water bottles in almost every single superstore or grocery store in Harmony St. Cloud area, last week you would have gone and maybe bought an extra case just that way, like, your family could have something to drink. Not that you're prepared or overprepared for a hurricane, but you just need water. And if you would have known what this week would have looked like or this weekend would have looked like at any grocery store, you would have prepared We want to be prepared for what's coming. And the fact that we don't know, we always don't know how to prepare. Or how about this one? We feel like we want to be in control. We want to control what the future looks like. We want to control how we get there. We want to control when we get there, how we handle some some things. So the unknown removes us of control, and control is what we all really crave in life. We want control. But how about this one? We want to be without worry, right? We want to be without worry. So we want to be prepared, or maybe we want to be in control, or maybe we want to be without worry. Because as long as it's all part of the plan, shout out Heath Ledger, as long as it's all part of the plan, right, nobody panics, Because, again, there is a plan and people stuck to the plan. No matter how horrific that plan is, we know what's going to happen and we're we're prepared, we're ready, there's no control, and we're without worry. So what do we do? And I'm here to tell you, I would love to know the future. I would love to know the future. I would love to know the future for my sons so that way I can know how to prepare them for what's ahead of them. But just like my parents had no way of knowing how to prepare me for an iPhone that didn't even exist growing up, I will have no idea how to prepare my kids for life's next challenges, for life's next advancements, for life's for cultures and the world's next selling point or mess. I have no idea how to prepare them. But I do know a God who does. And I know a God who knows the future. He knows the plans for my life. And he knows the plans for my kid's life, and he knows the plans for their kid's life. And I have a God who I trust in the middle of the unknown. In fact, in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Or Proverbs 19, 21, it says this, Many are the plans in the mind of the man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Or Ephesians 2, 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God is a God who knows the future. He knows the future. And what's even a more mind-blowing thought that I believe I've said before, but I'm going to say it again. God is a God outside of time. So how me and you have a life that begins as a baby and goes all the way um, to adulthood, it is a linear time frame that has to be lived forward. God is outside of time, and Scripture teaches this, that he is outside of time. So God is currently, if it, it's hard to wrap our mind around, but he does not live a linear life. He has no beginning, and he has no end. He is currently in the book of Genesis, just like he is also in the book of Revelation and future events that we have not seen yet, as well as in our life right now. 
which is mind-blowing to think about. But tomorrow, the day that you're worried about that you don't know what it holds, he's already there providing everything you need in that day for that time. And so that, that, number one, it blows my mind, but also number two, it gives me hope and assurance that the God who is already there has prepared a plan and a path for me to walk and provisions for me to, to, to rest in. So God knows the future. He is in the future, and he says, be anxious for nothing like we talked about last week. So what do we do? What do we do in the middle of the unknown? What do we do in this prison of lack of control, this prison of the unknown, this prison of a feared future? What do we do? If you don't take anything away from the message this morning, take this away. When the future is unknown, I will trust in the God I know. When the future is unknown, I will trust in the God I know. And God is a trustworthy God. Again, he knows the future. And when he tells me to do something, he's not doing it blindly, hoping it'll work out for me. He knows the future. He knows the path you're supposed to walk that I'm supposed to walk. And if God says do this, I'm going to do it. If God says change your mind and think about things this way, I'm going to change my mind and I'm going to think about them that way. Because God is in control and he is a known God even though the future to us may be unknown. In this passage as we close out our series Prisons to Playgrounds, Paul, the author of this book, he doesn't know if he's going to see this church again, these people that he loves so dearly again. He has no idea. He's currently in prison. Um, and he's writing this letter on joy, and he's, he, he has no idea if he's going to see these people again. These people have no idea if they're going to see him again. These people don't know if they're going to get arrested because Paul was arrested for just simply preaching the gospel. And so these people don't know if they're going to get arrested and pulled out of their homes and pulled out of their church for just simply believing the gospel and maybe the pastor of that church preaching the gospel. And they, so there's just a lot of unknowns at this moment. And what Paul is saying and what God is saying and, and when the future is unknown, trust in the God you know. Trust him. Trust him. God is saying, in the middle of your unknowns, you can have joy. So how do we have joy in the known God in the middle of the unknown? I think this passage, we're going to end it with three thoughts. I think there are three thoughts and three steps that we can take and three truths to believe and to receive about how we can have joy in God when the future is unknown. The first one is learn and live out the word of God and you will know his peace. Learn and live out God's word and you will know his peace. In the book of Philippians, which is where we're going to be this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn there, phone, swipe there. If not, it'll be on the Sky Bible for your convenience. But Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9, it says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So we're going to backtrack a little bit to verse number 8, and it says this, Whatever is good... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, excellent. If there is anything worthy of our praise, think on these things. 
Meaning this, protect your thought life when the future is unknown. Protect how, how your mind, the trails you let your mind run down. Protect your thought life. Why? Because thoughts often lead to action. And if you're thinking irrationally, you'll most likely behave irrationally. Protect your thought life. So what do I think on? We think on heavenly things. Fill your mind with God's truth. If you, if you feel like you can't, it may be because it's full of other stuff that just doesn't matter. We learn about God's word. We dwell on God's word. We meditate on God's word. Some of you were like, that's, that's an age-old truth that I've been going to church my whole life, and I feel like I've been told a thousand times, read and know your Bible. Well, it's not just a to-do list. It's also a to-know list. But that's how we get to know God. It's through his word. And when we begin to think like him, and we think on things that are true and honorable, we can have joy even when the future is unknown. Just to be very practical, right? Some of you know your sports teams better than you know your Savior. And I think it's time that we stop become having this consumerism and church mentality where we just show up and you say, what can you offer me? And that you take your relationship with God personally and practically and you yourself get into God's word. And so that way you show up to church ready to worship, not the God that I'm about to explain to you, but the God that you've been walking with this whole week and now we can just gather as a group of believers and lean on each other to help us follow God that we all know and worship daily, not just on Sundays. Learn God's word. Learn it. Dwell on it. Fill your mind with it. But here's the thing. Don't just learn it and memorize it and saturate your heart with it. Live it. Learn it and live it. Learn and live God's word. One of my favorite, I, I, I love um, the NBA. I know I just got done talking about sports. Hypocritical, right? No, but I, I, I love the NBA. Um, I love basketball and um, <laughs> one of, the most skilled players of all time. His name is Kevin Durant. He's seven foot tall. Um, he can dribble as good as any single point guard. Um, he's just, they, um, he's, he's crazy. And to watch him play is just like a, a work of art. Um, but here's the thing about Kevin Durant. He has a book out and, and he was, his trainers were talking about this. There is a difference between the average person and a professional athlete. And here's the difference. Kevin Durant had a really bad game. So that night, he was thinking about it. He couldn't really sleep. So at 3 a.m., he was like, you know what? I need to go get up 500 three-pointers because I shot the ball very poorly. And so it wasn't he waited until 9 a.m. the next day when practice started. He called his trainer at 3 a.m., and at, by 3.15, they were on the basketball court getting up 500 three-pointers. There was a knowledge of I need to do this, and there was no delay in doing it. And I think that is a practical uh, illustration that we could all possibly learn from of whenever you know God's word says something, God's spirit reminds you of his truth to live this out. There is no, well, let me just pray about it. There is no, well, let me just dwell on it, think about it and whatever. No, it's, I'm going to do it. I'm going to live it out. Right? Like, one of my favorite things that I love about Sunday mornings, and I am guilty of this too, right? It's we gather and we get so fired up. We learn about God's word. We hear about the importance of reaching our communities with Jesus. 
and we're inspired by it, the Spirit stirs in our spirit something to be like, I'm going to charge hell with a water pistol, and I don't care who's coming with me, but we're doing it, right? Like, we get so fired up, and we're like, let's go out. Let's do this. And then we go get Culver's, and then we take a three-hour nap, and next thing you know, it's Monday morning, and we hate life. Right? And this momentary of emotional high doesn't carry over because we don't think about and apply of how to do this, which is, number one, why small groups are important. Because that's where practicality of how do we live out God's word really gets talked about and fleshed out in a community of people that will keep you accountable. But my encouragement to you is if you hear something on Sunday that challenges you, that convicts you, that inspires you to change something different about your life, talk with it with your spouse at the lunch table the second you get home. And let your kids hear it. So that way there is no disconnect from how we live and how we behave at church. It is a, okay, my parents are not perfect. They are a work in progress, and I see that they are making strides to live a life in, in line with God's word. Talk with it with your spouse. So that way you both know the direction this household and this family is going. Find a friend that you can go to lunch with and talk with them. Hey, heard this on Sunday. I was reading in God's word today. I really feel like I need to do this. I'm going to do it. Can you keep me accountable? Can you help me? What does this look like? Or what does this look like in my life? Can you help me flesh this out? Because I really feel like God's calling me to do this. Learn it and live it. Why? Because in verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Learn it and live it. And you will know peace. And you will know peace. When you learn God's word and live out God's word, you will know his peace in every area of your life. When hardships, when struggles, when anxiety, when stress, when all these things boil up inside of us or we feel like our life is in disarray, we can still know peace. And by the way, pain and peace can coexist. I just want you to know that. But even in the struggle, we can have peace know it's going to work out. Because I know my God, and I trust my God. And I know he may not prevent all things, but I know he redeems all things. And I trust him, even in the middle of the unknown. So when life is crazy and the world is like, why are you not freaking out right now, right? Like when the friends from the north ask us people, who Floridians in the south, why are you not freaking out about the hurricane? I've been through it, and I've been through it, and I know that we will come out on the other end okay. I know as long as I am following Jesus, we will come out on the other end okay. And what that looks like, I don't know. But here's what I do know. I trust the God in the middle of the unknown, and that brings me joy, and that brings me peace. So learn it, and live, learn and live God's word, and you will know his peace. Second thought is this. Learn to be content in God. And you will know his strength. Learn to be content in God and you will know his strength. We continue on Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 through 13. It says this. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. 
In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Besides John 3.16, Philippians 4.13 may be the most famous verse in all of Scripture, right? Right? It's on every weight room wall. It's on the eye black of a lot of sports athletes. It's what we recite to ourselves when we have a, uh, uh, a, a presentation to give and we have a fear of public speaking and we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I, I can do this. But that's not the context of this passage. The context of this passage is not that you can bench press 315. The context of this passage is not that you can give up and give a, a, uh, a presentation in front of a classroom even though you're scared. The context of this verse is not that your car will make it another 20 miles even though it's been on empty and you, it says zero miles to empty. Like that's not, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not the context of this passage. Here's the context of this passage. You ready for this? I am so content and have such satisfaction in just Jesus that everything else is a gift that I'm grateful for but don't need. I am so content and satisfied in just Jesus that every other blessing and gift in my life I rejoice and am thankful for but I don't need. You ever been to a restaurant and, um, like, you pig out, like, you get, like, a, like, they bring out the bread, and it's complimentary bread. And so you take advantage of the complimentary bread. Um, if you're like me, like, I'm going through four or five Coke Zeros before my food even gets there, right? So I fill up on soda. Um, and then, um, like, if you ordered an appetizer, the appetizer gets here. Right, And if you're at Chili's, that chips and salsa, I'm going through three baskets of it by myself. Right? Um, and then by the time you've had, for me, four sodas, some chip, like three, three pounds of chips and salsa, um, and then my food arrives, and I can barely finish my food, but I'm not a quitter, so I finish it, and I'm, I'm not a wimp, so like I power through, and if my son doesn't finish his plate, I'm not wasting money. I power through the kid's meal as well, right? And then by the end of it, the, what does the waiter or waitress always come up and say? What do they always ask? Any room for dessert? Almost never in my life have I been like, absolutely. <laughs> Here's what I'm thinking. Not right now. I know in two hours I got ice cream back at the house and it'll just fill in the cracks, right, like of the food. But for now, no, I'm good. Why do we say no to dessert? Because we are content and, in fact, over content with the meal we just ate. Let me say this. I think a lot of us would say no to the things we need to say no to in our lives. Sin, addiction, you insert the blank. If we were more content in Jesus. I think our sin issue isn't that we're just uh, living in sin or just overwhelmed with sin. I think our sin issue is that we are not content in Jesus. That if we were so content and satisfied in just Jesus, that other temptations wouldn't actually be a temptation. Right? Like, I never think ice cream is disgusting until I'm overstuffed with other things. Then they're like, hey, do you want this ice cream? I'm like, I'm going to throw up. Like, I can't even look at that. 
What if we were so content and full of God's word and his spirit, and we were so content in the person of Jesus and so overwhelmed with the salvation that he so freely provided with us that when the enemy came and tempted us with things that we know we should not be doing and, and, and walking in, that we were like, oh, I cannot even walk down that road, and it is disgusting to me because of how content I am with the person of Jesus. When we think of contentment, we think of complacency, and it is, in fact, the opposite. Contentment is a gift. And I think we, don't, we, I think we need more content Christians in the, in the world. Christians are, that are just so overly satisfied in just Jesus. Contentment is a gift. It removes the unquenchable thirst for more in our lives, and it leads us to joy. It means while other people may be going out and trying to fulfill and fill that void of emptiness, they may buy a boat. You don't need a boat to fill the void of emptiness that you have Jesus. And if you have money to buy a boat, I'm here to tell you, like, invite me <laughs> next time you go on it. But, but that is not the reason you buy it is to fill a void. You're not looking for earthly things to fill something that only Jesus can. But whenever Jesus filled up, fills that void in your life and you are content in only him, you look around you at the things you have and you go, this is a blessing and this is a gift, but I don't need it. I rejoice in it and I'm thankful for it, but I don't need it. And when the enemy comes against you, you know God's word. You know his strength. And that strength comes from a contentment in him. You have peace because you know that Jesus is all you need. My third and final thought is this. Remain on mission with God and you will know his provision. Remain on mission with God and you will know his provision. We finish off Philippians chapter 4 and it says this. And you, Philippians, Yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is saying this, in the middle of the unknown, continue to live on mission. Notice when I, what my thought was, remain on mission with God and you will know his provision. Not for God, right? Because you are not employees of God. I am not an employee of God. You are a son and daughter of God. who ha He has redeemed and adopted and saved. And so now when we're walking with God, we are also partnering with God, not God on our mission to do whatever we want to do in life, but us partnering on God's mission, which is to seek and to save the lost. So we stay on mission with God, and you will know his provision. Continue to live on mission. 
Continue to live with generosity. Continue to pray. Continue to preach the gospel. And you will see God provide. You will see him do wonders and miracles in your life. In World War II, the Britons uh, were pinned against the wall. German forces were advancing. They didn't know what they were going to do. Germans were bombing their cities every night. Homes were being destroyed. Lives were being destroyed. But there was this mantra, and maybe you've heard it before. It was on, painted on walls. There were posters of it all over Britain. And this is what not just the military stuck to, but the entire nation of Britain stuck to. And it was this. Maybe you've heard it. Keep calm and carry on. Keep calm and carry on. Meaning this. When life is crazy and we are in a battle. Like, I want you to know this. Like, we are in a battle. We are fighting and trying to advance the kingdom of God. And there is a real enemy who will do anything and everything to stop us. And the world is a mess because of sin. Because of brokenness. And it will push back against the kingdom of God. The world will push back. Broken people will push back. Satan will push back. And here we are thinking, life is crazy. What are we going to do? My life is a mess because of the brokenness of, of me and the people around me and the life. And you Keep calm. Know his peace. Know his strength. And carry on. What Britain's motto was, and this is what, if you do your job, you fulfill your role. We will win. First of all, we are already going to win. But the battles you're facing, eternally we're going to win. But temporary, can we win the temporary battles, the immediate battles? Yes, you can. If you keep calm and you carry on. I hate the Patriots so much. Um, and, but when they were playing Atlanta, they were down 28 to 3. Um, a couple years in the Super Bowl, years ago in the Super Bowl, they were down 28 to 3. And the Patriots have this mantra. And again, I hate them so much. And I hope that something happens where they have to close their organization and never see a football field again. But here's, here's what they say, and here's their mantra. You ready for this? Just do your job. Just do your job. Right? They would tell that to each and every single individual player. Like, Brandon Spikes, you're the middle linebacker. Do your job. Rally the defense. Tom Brady, do your job. Wide receiver, do your job. Run this route this way. And if we all do our job, we have a game plan that can't lose, right? Just do your job. And even though they felt like they were down, even though they felt like they were in a prison and there was no way out of it, they kept on mission. They stayed on mission. And here's what they saw. They saw opportunities to take advantage of. They saw provision to capitalize on, and they ended up winning the game. I'm here to tell you, church, that when life gets crazy, it's not time to hunker down as a family or as an individual and isolate yourselves because the world around you is messy. That's the time where we stay on mission. That's the time where we get outside of ourselves full of faith. And it's going to take faith 
To say that, okay, I'm going to learn and I'm going to live out God's word and I'm going to know his peace. And because I know his peace, I I am going to be content in just Jesus and I'm going to know his strength. And when I know his peace and I know his strength, I'm going to live out on mission and I'm going to see his provision. I'm going to see him provide in ways in my life that I, I never knew about. You know one of the things that, and again, it's hard for me to even talk about this because I know the financial circumstances for some people in this room. But God never said, hey, because you're going through financial difficulty, stop giving to the church. He said, even in the middle of financial difficulty, even in the midst of poverty, this old lady in the New Testament gave two coins, which was her contribution to the church. And Jesus looked at his disciples, people who had money, and said, it's not about you doing it just for the praise. That's what generosity looks like. It's when you feel like you have nothing left to give, but you have something that you know you don't need, but it would be great to have at the moment, but it's what you are supposed to give to give to God, and you give it anyways. God will meet your needs. You can't promise that, Troy. You're you're right. I can't promise that. God's word promises it, and it's enough for me. It's when I sacrifice my time that I already feel like I'm short on whenever I would just like to sit back and binge four hours of Netflix, but I'm going to serve my church anyways. I'm going to serve my friends anyways. I'm going to love my family and serve my family anyways. I'm going to stay on mission, and I'm going to see God's provision. I'm going to keep going. And the world will try to stop you. The enemy will try to stop you. But I'm here to tell you they can't. They will slander you, belittle you, make fun of you, make you question everything you believe through some sort of logic that can, has so many holes in it, it's not even funny. But it cannot stop you. It cannot stop us. When you live on mission and you live with generosity and you're giving, you will see God provide, provide in ways you cannot imagine. And this is our responsibility. I have heard people ask, not here, this church is perfect. It's other churches that I've heard people ask this. Like, what is the church doing to reach the community? What is the church doing to attract new people to come into the church? I'm here to tell you, you're the church. I'm the church. So what are you doing to reach your friends and to have them sit beside you on a Sunday morning hearing God's word to help better their life and maybe change their life eternally? This mission is not It's more than just corporate worship at a church in a middle school. This mission is personal to you. So what are we doing? Let's live on mission. And I promise you, you will see God's provision. And when the future is unknown, I will trust in the God I know. When the future is unknown, I will trust in the God I know. I want to end with this story. And in this story, um, at the beginning of this series, I explained how the book of Philippians came, or the, book, the church of Philippi came to be. In Acts chapter 16, which I encourage every single one of you to read, um, Paul makes his way to this town, this, this metropolis, really, like we talked about earlier, called Philippi. There were no flying cars, but, you know, it was an okay town. And Paul goes to this synagogue. Well, in order for there to be a synagogue, there has to be ten male believers in a city for a synagogue to be 
there. And he was going to go to the synagogue to share the gospel of Jesus. There are not 10 practicing believers, male believers in this city. So he just starts going home to home, knocking on doors and witnessing. And these two women, these two businesswomen, accept Jesus. They get on board with the mission, and they really help fund Paul's um, uh, church plant uh, financially. And next thing you know, when by the time Paul is writing in Philippians, this church is a massive church with church plants all around the city. But Paul, when he's visiting the city and he's helping get this church off the ground, he's preaching the gospel, he gets arrested, him and his friend. His friend named Silas. And they get thrown in prison. And they're in prison, right? Paul just has the knack for prison, right? Like, it's like a hotel for him. He's like, oh, here we go again. What's up, Bill? <laughs> like, so Paul's in prison, Acts chapter 16. The church of Philippi is just getting off the ground. And I, wanna, I want us to pick up in this story. About midnight, Paul and Sil Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So here we have Paul and Silas. It's midnight. And they're just singing songs to God. They're just singing. They're singing hymns. They're singing God's word. They're singing. They're praising. They're worshiping. They know God's word. They don't know the future. Right? It's not like they knew what was going to happen in verse 26 as they're in verse 25. They don't know what the future holds. They thought, okay, we started a church in Philippi. We get arrested for preaching the gospel. A lot of people get sick and die in these jails. That may be our story. And they knew that could have been their story, but what do they do? They start worshiping. They start singing songs of praise and, and songs of worship to their, to their God. And everybody's listening. And all of a sudden, an earthquake happens. We're in Florida. We don't know what that looks, looks like or feels like. But an earthquake happens. The floor shakes. The prison doors bust open. The chains on them break loose. We've titled this series, Prisons to Playgrounds. And in the moment when the future was unknown, we have Paul and Silas. They trust the God that they do know. And what are they found doing? They're found worshiping. And they're found praising. In the middle of the unknown, they said we will rejoice in the Lord always. And again, we say rejoice. And what does God do? God literally destroys the prison. He literally destroys the prison. And the chains that were on them, that bound them, they didn't figure out a way to get them off. They fell off. 
and the guard who was responsible for them was so overwhelmed. He was like, hold up, hold up, hold up, what's going on? And Paul and Silas go, hey, we're here, and we can help. We're here, and we can help. And he witnessed to the jailer. The jailer gets saved. They go to the jailer's house. That family gets saved. They baptize them that day, and Paul and Silas rejoice. They go back to the church in Philippi. They knock on the door. The ladies open up the door, and they're like, that's impossible. How are you here? And they say, God broke the prison. In your life, when you feel like you're in a prison, when you're in a prison of worry because the future is unknown, you're in a prison of you feeling unprepared and ill-equipped to raise a family in an unknown world, you don't know what the stock market's going to do, you don't know what the housing market's going to do, you don't know how inflation is going to affect your children, you don't know anything. What do we do? We trust God. And I will be found worshiping the God I know in the middle of the unknown. I will be found pursuing the God I know in the middle of the unknown. I'll be found learning and living out his word so that way I can know his peace in the middle of the unknown. I'm going to be found learning to be content in him so I can know his strength. I'm going to be found learning to be on mission with him so I can see his provision. Because I know this, when Paul and Silas were in prison, they knew God's word, so they had peace that surpasses all understanding. They knew to be content come prison or come, uh, or come you know, you know, the mansion, we know that Jesus is enough. And we're on mission with God so that even when we are in a prison and we feel like we're trapped in, we're still going to worship and we're going to God, watch God physically and spiritually and emotionally wreck prisons in your lives. And he will do it. I promise you he will do it. If we live a life of obedience, if we live a life of praise and worship, because our job is obedience, God's job is the outcome. So you're not going to catch me self-loathing or in self-pity. You're going to catch me praising God in the middle of every battle. Why? Because I white-knuckled my way to get to this point where I overcame mental obstacles? No, because I just sat back and said, I trust you. Because if this is up to me, I'm going to fail. I trust you to do all that you can do. I trust you to be all that you claim to be. And I'm just going to sit back and be a recipient. I'm going to sit back, and when you say step left, I'm going to step left. I'm going to sit back, and when you say move forward, I'm going to move forward. I'm just going to trust you, and I'm going to live a life of faith. And when I look back on my life, and I think about how gracious and blessed my life currently is, I'm going to look back and say, this was not Trey plowing the field or paving the way. This was Trey looking back and saying, I've just followed God all my life. He has prisons. He has let chains come off of my life. He is the one that gives me peace that surpasses all understanding. He's the one that gives me strength. And he's the one that has provided for me and my family every single step of the way. And church, let my encouragement to you be this. Be found worshiping. Be found praising. Be found pursuing the person of Jesus. Because the God of the impossible specializes in doing the miracles that you and I can never dream of accomplishing ourselves. So this morning, what are you going to do when you leave here? What has God put on your life? 
What is that thing you feel in your spirit right now of like, this is a conversation I need to have, but I don't know if I know how to do it. This is a conversation that should have happened a couple years ago between me and my spouse. And I don't know how we're going to get through this. Here would be my encouragement to you. Do the hard thing. Do the hard thing. And I promise you, you will see prisons fall. I promise you, God will do the impossible in your marriage, in your home, and your family. He just needs people of faith to step out and to live in obedience. Will you? Maybe God's putting something else on your heart. I can't speak for everybody. My encouragement to you is in the middle of the unknown, trust in the God you know. Heavenly Father, we love you. We're thankful for you. God, you're great. You're amazing. We trust you. Faith and trust are, go hand in hand, and in Scripture, they're the same word in Greek. So we trust you. We have faith in you. We trust that our ways are not the best, but that your ways are, that our thoughts are not the best, that your thoughts are. God, your plans for our lives is so much better than our own plans for our own lives. God, I pray for each and every single person in this room that, God, they would continue to learn and live out your word. They would learn to be content with you so that way they may know your strength and that we would remain on mission. No matter how crazy life gets, that we would remain on mission so that way we can see your provision. You're great. You're amazing. And in this time of worship together, God, I pray that, God, if there's things we need to deal with, things we need to pray for, God, God, things that this song may articulate that we don't know how to formed words to that this would be our prayer, the songs we're about to sing. God, you're great. You're amazing. And I pray over this congregation, I pray over these people, that they would see their life go from a prison to a playground. In Jesus' name, amen.